What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, a podcast I usually publish on Tuesday mornings. But here's what we do. It's a whole show filled with listener questions. I'll answer them in three segments. There's two ways you can get involved. One, tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich, whenever you're thinking of a question. Send it my way, I'll save it, answer it on the next week's show. Or, watch the skies on Monday morning, West Coast time, around 9 a.m., I send out a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond there, I'll get it on the show. Simple as that. So, without further ado, let's get it going. This first question comes from Jordan Poe, at JordanPow456 on Twitter, who asks, With people always wanting to trade CJ, not me, personally, I love CJ, do you genuinely think we could get something better in return compared to what he brings to the table? I personally think no. So I think if you're just talking player for player, it seems like it might be hard to trade for someone who is uh, quote-unquote better than CJ McCollum. I think that's I think that's a fair guess. Um, also, he's due a lot of money. He's 28 years old. He's kind of a finished product. That is not the type of player that people would give up a, sort of a like a in player in kind for. But you might be able to trade CJ for somebody that, that fits the roster better. Uh, you might be, tr- be able to trade some... CJ for someone who doesn't overlap as much with Damian Lillard's skill and thus provides the Blazers with a little more versatility. Uh, you might get worse in terms of overall talent, but better in team construction. So, yeah, I think there's a reasonable... I think there's reason to believe you could get back... You could trade CJ and improve the roster. I don't think it's guaranteed. I think you're most likely to get worse, worse but it could happen, Jordan. And guess what? You're not the only one who's curious about trading CJ McCollum. For whatever reason, that's a topic again this week. This next question comes from Ryan Cole at rconnell27 on Twitter who asks, Is CJ worth keeping or selling? Love him, but numbers. Same with Whiteside. Do not understand what love him, but numbers means here, Ryan, so I'm just going to ignore that part. CJ's worth keeping? Yeah, uh, I think it's, like I just said, hard to trade him for legitimately improving the roster. I don't think... Him being owed $100 million over the next three seasons at what he provides makes him a really sexy trade chip. Uh, I think he's shown that he can be he can do a little more than uh, maybe previously thought when, when he played those games with Damian Lillard out, but how many teams would he could would trade for CJ thinking that he could be a true sort of franchise anchor for more than the length of his contract? Um it seems unlikely. Seems there's. I feel like there's not many people that check the first box, and certainly not many that would want to pay him after that contract expires. I think he's hard. I think he's hard to trade, and I think he's. I think he's good though. He's he's worth keeping um, because maybe the value on the trade is low. Whiteside, listen. If Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic are the future of this team, and that's how they view it, and and quite frankly how I view it, I can't imagine Hassan Whiteside being part of the plan. Uh, He's been fine this year, even good. Like, on balance, he's been a good player. Uh, The Blazers are not a good team, though, and they're a really bad defensive team. I don't think that necessarily says everything about Hassan Whiteside, but it does suggest that he's not—he's a flawed player. There's going to be a lot of decent centers on the market this summer. Aaron Baines, Derek Favors, Harry Giles, Hassan Whiteside— uh, he's probably the best of that bunch, but you get the idea that if you don't want to pay Whiteside, you can get another option. Uh, I 
I'll be curious to see what Hassan Whiteside commands, but I'm uh, I'm not in favor of the Blazers keeping him. Next question comes from Justin Sisney at Justin underscore Sisney on Twitter, who asks to get more out of CJ McCollum. Do you think a position a position switch with Damian Lillard and have CJ be the primary ball handler while him and Dame are on the floor? Uh, I hate this idea. I hate it. I hate it. Damian Lillard is better than CJ McCollum. Taking the ball out of his hands makes the Blazers worse. CJ McCollum is also a better spot-up shooter than Damian Lillard. Um, Dame's just more of a one and CJ's more of a two. I do think getting the ball in CJ's hands and trying to coax more playmaking out of him could help the Blazers, but a full-on, quote, position switch seems like it makes the Blazers worse for no reason. Don't like the idea, but I see where you're going. Next question comes from KJM underscore B-Ball at B-BallKJM on Twitter, who on March 4th, you'll see why the date is important, on March 4th, that's last Wednesday, after the Blazers had won two straight and beaten the Washington Wizards, KJ asked, first a preface, I'm an idiot for thinking they were done, does a healthy 8th seed Blazers pose a threat to the Lakers? Dame can go toe-to-toe with LBJ, and Nurk and Zach can cancel out AD, does that mean we win? Oh boy. Oh boy, it was quite a weekend after you sent this tweet, KJM. Blazers got throttled in Phoenix, came back and played terribly against the Kings. Meanwhile, the Lakers beat the two other best teams in the NBA, first Milwaukee and then the LA Clippers. Quite a weekend for this tweet. Maybe the, the your first instinct here when saying that you thought the Blazers were done, maybe stick with that. I don't know if they're done-done. They're certainly in a lot of trouble. I think their playoff hopes are on as thin ice as they've been all year. Uh, it's it, They made things difficult for them. I can't imagine Zach and Nurk are healthy enough to knock off the Lakers, but maybe that's the formula. Maybe they have to be healthy enough for the Blazers even to get there and have a chance. The Lakers look like the best team in the NBA right now. I think they could give the the Lakers a tough series, but I can't imagine them winning multiple times in Los Angeles, or even one time in Los Angeles in, say, a Game 7 to uh, get out of that series. That seems unlikely. So I'm going to say no, KJM. Next question comes from Tamtarius, Tamtarius at Tam5337632 on Twitter, who asks, could a healthy Zach Collins give Anthony Davis some problems when he plays, even next year, when he's out of foul trouble. If if that's the case, would the Blazers match up fairly well against L.A.? I like the idea that uh, Zach Collins, <laughs> next year, he'll be out of foul trouble um, because he, like, wakes up every, every day with three fouls. Um, I, I don't know. The Blazers just seem really far away from the Lakers. The Lakers are one of the best teams in the NBA. Uh, I don't. I don't think Zach Collins. Well, he's very important to this roster, and they were going to rely on him a lot. I don't. I, I think it's kind of wild to think that adding Zach Collins into the mix faults the Blazers up to one of the best teams in the NBA. Uh, I think they match up okay with the Lakers, like fully healthy and like they're like the full theory of the Blazers because they're going to be very big, and the Blazers are very big. I still don't know who on Portland guards LeBron James. Um, listen, we saw what it took to, for the like for the Blazers to beat the Lakers. Dame had to play one of the great games of his life. Um, he's capable of more of that, but, you know, come on. Can he do that in the playoffs four times? Maybe, maybe, but it, it seems hard. Um, I, listen, the, the Lakers are just really good. The Blazers will be better next year if they're healthy, but um, let's slow down a little bit. All right, next question comes from Jeremy at Maui Blazers on Twitter who asks, any Zach updates? Would think some basketball action before the end of the season would be beneficial for him, just as it will for Nurk, if Zach is physically able to play, of course. Zach Collins, 
at practice today. The Blazers practiced. Nurk returned and did some practice stuff, although the Blazers didn't really do a full practice because they don't really practice, and it's also late in the year. Asking Hassan Whiteside to go against Nurk in practice would be wild, so they're not going to do that. Instead, they're going to send Yusuf Nurkic down to the G League to get a practice in with the Santa Cruz Warriors. Zach Collins not going to G League, though, to the G League, though, but he was wearing a practice jersey and out on the court going hard with the Blazers, uh, one of their head video scouts and assistant coach Jim Moran. Uh, Collins has said, I've reported this in the podcast a couple times, and he told me maybe just before the All-Star break, just after the All-Star break, that mid to late March was very realistic. His words, very realistic for him to come back. Um, He's not practicing yet. I don't think, I think late March is much more likely um, but he's he's getting there and he's working on it. Uh, I don't think it's a guarantee he plays. I think there's a chance they hold him out. Um, it, he he doesn't have to. It's it's not as big of a mental hurdle as it will be for Nurk. I think it's really important mentally for Nurk to get back. You know, this is a dislocated shoulder and stuff for Collins. I don't think there's the same sort of mental challenge as it was for a horrific knee injury. But I think if Zach's, I know Zach really wants to play. It'll just be up to whether the Blazers. Um, medical staff and coaching staff and front office and whatever thinks it's worth it. All right, second segment to come back and answer more of your questions. Okay, still locked on Blazers, still Mike Richmond, it's still Mailbag Monday. Let's keep it rolling. Another question from Tamtarius. I'm not going to read your handle again. You already got one. In fact, you asked three questions, and I'm reading them all because I'm generous, and you were the first person to respond to the tweet, and we have to reward enthusiasm like that here on the podcast. Your next question from Tam Darius says, What player should the Blazers look at the at in the draft? Another prospect to develop or a kind of NBA-ready player to cover some of the inevitability, inevitably existing gaps on the roster? Maybe trading the pick? Yeah, those are those are definitely all the options. Um, obviously, every NBA team wants to draft a player that can contribute and be good right away. But I understand what you're saying. Um, they don't need a project. They don't need someone who's going to have to sit and watch. Um, I don't really watch college basketball. I watch one college basketball team, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. They don't have anyone that could help them right away on the roster. So... I'm doing that thing that NBA media types do this time of year, and they and I'm going to pretend, I'm going to say some names and pretend I know who they are. I think a great player for the Blazers to draft would be Aaron Neesmith, a 6'6 sophomore wing from Vanderbilt, can shoot it, guard multiple positions, and might be able to contribute really early in his career. Another option, if they don't like Neesmith, is Sadiq Bey, a 6'8 sophomore from Villanova, who can really fill it up from beyond the arc and has the length to be an NBA-ready defender. Now listen, I, I've never seen either of these dudes play a minute. Uh, I might watch some YouTube highlights of them later or something like that. But yeah, I, I, I think they need a wing. I think they need a forward. Um, that that's, that's the weak spot on this roster. They need a forward, someone who can defend and shoot and doesn't need the ball a bunch. That's, that's the trick for them. Um, if they can trade the pick in a bad draft for another NBA quality player, do it. But that seems unlikely. We'll just see what happens. All right, Tam Terry's your third and final question, asking, would you like a Paul Millsap or even a Mo Harkless return in free agency at a reasonable price? Uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, like I said, the Blazers need forwards, right? They need anyone who could play forward. That's going to be super, 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 super important is to not um, go into the season with zero forwards, kind of like they did this year. Uh, quite an approach to roster building. Um, Paul Millsap's going to be 36. He's incredibly good. I'm a huge Paul Millsap guy, but um, 
I, I have trouble putting a fat cosine on a 36-year-old NBA player. Uh, I think he's really good. Like, I, I, he can help. I th- he's playing right now and has like 22 and 10. So if they, if they could get that, sure. It's just can a 36-year-old do that every night? Mo Harkless would help this team. I can't imagine he has interest in coming back. That stuff just doesn't happen when you get traded away very often. But maybe. Um, I think either of those guys would help. Um, they don't super-duper excite me, but um, they also seem like good options. All right, next question is from Justin Osland, at JustinOsland7 on Twitter, who asks, Sorry if this has already been answered, but has anyone asked Stotts why his Zonia is in the rotation over Little? Is the question, has any reporter asked it? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. It's hard to ask NBA coaches why, why why you played this player and why this player didn't play. You can. It, there's an art to it to get a, a real answer other than that's what I did. But in general, that's just a tough needle of thread. It's a tough question to ask. Coaches are sensitive about that type of thing, and they usually just give you crappy answers. So I think the answer to that question that you asked here is no, but let me answer why Hazonia's playing over Little. One, Nazir Little just hasn't been that good. He's had some moments, um, you know, he's, 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 his shooting form looks a little better. He started to make threes at a very low volume, but Stotts gave Hazonia a chance in that game in Orlando, and he played really well with when Dame was out. And in general, Stotts rolls with Hazonia over, Mar, or over Nazir when Dame or CJ are missing because he wants another ball handler off the bench. He just desperately needs another person who can dribble. Now, Hazonia dribbling is sometimes an adventure. Um, his decision-making is sometimes poor, uh, adventurous, but he, at least he can dribble. At least he can bring the ball up the court. Uh, Nazir really can't do that yet. He doesn't have a tight enough handle to like even get it across the timeline at the NBA level with pressure defense. So Sonia kind of leapfrogs him naturally in those six games that Dame missed, and then he played pretty well, and Stotts, generally speaking, how he does rotation stuff is if you play well, you keep playing. That's just how it works. Okay, next question comes from Tim A at PDX Timmy on Twitter who asks if things can continue to go downhill. Will the Blazers consider essentially shutting it down, in parentheses, sitting players for nagging injuries, etc.? If so, is there a tipping point inside the organization? Would they need to be mathematically eliminated first? Yeah, I think it's got to be the math. Um, I think you're going to have trouble convincing Damian Lillard. You're going to have trouble convincing Terry Stotts. Coaches want to win so they can keep their job, right? Like, all the dudes on the coaching staff are in a results-based business. They t- they do not want to tank. Um, it's not the Brett Brown, you know, Sam Hinkie's Sixers where everyone was on board that losing was okay. Like th- this is a results-based business. They want to win. Um, only really, only the front office types are like pro losing. So I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think they'll full-on capital T tank until they're mathematically eliminated. Um, they are probably playing the starters too much for a team that's not good. I think that's a, a fair concern, but um, it. Is going to keep happening, so strap in. Okay, next question is from Belgian Blazer at Belgian underscore Blazer on Twitter who asks, can you give us some insights into what kind of owner Jody Allen is? How is her relationship with Neil Olshay and others inside the organization? Um, from what I understand, Jody Allen is probably a bigger basketball fan than she is publicly painted. She's probably been to about 70% of the home games this year. That might be generous, maybe 65, but like more than half. She's regularly at at the games and 
For, from what I understand, she is not Paul Allen. She is not sending Neil Olshay clips of guys and say, let's draft him. She's not watching practice from the yacht or whatever. She's not the same sort of excited, um, hands-on owner that Paul was. But she's interested. She is wants to be involved in the communication. She wants to know things. Um, just like a, a, a small anecdote that proves this point is when they were going to sign Ennis Cantor last year and she had to sign off on giving away more money, she basically asked explain why this helps, you know, and, uh, and the front office types gave her the analytics they had behind it. Um, the advanced numbers, the raw numbers, all their projections, things like that. And said, he, we think Ennis Cantor can help us win three or four more games. He's worth the money. And she said, let's do it. Um, I think she has a good relationship with Neil from everything he says publicly. Um, you know, he's not going to, in pr- public or in private, he is not going to say he has a bad relationship with the owner. That's his boss. He wants to keep his job. So um, hard to hard to sort of suss out the real truth there. But I think she's fairly involved. Um, she's not heavy in the decision making, but she's she's in on what goes down and, and wants to sort of know the reasoning behind it. All right, next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter who asks, how much of the recent poor play is scheme and playability, and how much is a team that might be losing the motivation to chase an eighth seed that is getting farther and farther away? Some of this is chicken and the egg, Rev. Uh, some, the, some of the reasons that they're, uh, the playoffs are getting further and further away is because they're playing bad. So which came first, right? Um, yeah, I think... The scheme stuff, I know people are mad at the scheme, and I think the drop coverage in defense, and by that I mean like when the center drops really deep on pick and rolls, and then they kind of chase over the top, so the center's kind of playing, uh, particularly Hassan Whiteside, kind of playing center field, taking a step back, um, and and not being really high up on pick and rolls. I think that, I think that makes people mad, because it seems like... Um, passive. But I will say that the Bucks, who have the best defense in the NBA, um, deploy a very similar scheme. They play drop coverage on almost every pick and roll with Brooke Lopez, except they just have way better defenders around it. So Giannis Antetokounmpo flies around with great length. Uh, 6'8", Chris Middleton is everywhere. Long-armed Eric Bledsoe is in passing lanes and getting uh, his hands on everything. Dante DiVincenzo just does a bunch of stuff. Like That is proof, perhaps that the scheme is not necessarily the problem and it's the personnel. To me, it's a little bit of both. But I also think the scheme fits their personnel really well. Asking Hassan Whiteside to play defense in another manner seems like a really stupid plan. Um, Putting him like way up high by the three-point line and asking him to either just straight up switch pick and rolls and guard in space or hedge and recover, that's just, he's going to be terrible at that too. Uh, They around Whiteside, I think he's the easy one to point to, but around Whiteside, they just don't have very many good defenders. When it's Mello, CJ, and Dame around Hassan Whiteside, that's a bad defensive team. I don't think it's motivation. I think it's inability. And I think when you get away from those first five starters, anyone on the bench, from what I watch, seems to have just trouble communicating. They just, uh, you know, Hazonia and Trevor Reza mix up switches, or Gary Trent Jr. and someone just, or CJ McCollum... uh, have a miscommunication off the ball who's going to go where on little split cuts and stuff like that so I I think it's player ability more than scheme Um, I understand people's frustration with the scheme I think it's a little overblown I think this is mostly just roster construction they have bad defenders so they're a bad defensive team all right let's close out the show answer more of your questions in segment three come back 
right. Let's close out Mailbag Monday with more of the questions, shall we? This next one comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter, who says, During an interview with Jay Hudson, Hassan Whiteside indicated that he could see himself and Nurk playing minutes together. Do you foresee the Blazers entertaining the idea of playing two centers together? Does this mindset concern you in re-signing Hassan Whiteside if his role is reduced to coming off the bench Shout out to Jamie Hudson, my colleague at NBC Sports. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure how recent this interview is. If this happened like this week, I might have missed it. Sorry, Jamie. Sorry, Sir Wheezy. Uh, but I've heard Hassan Whiteside say this before the season a couple times, that he thinks um, uh, him and Nurk could play together. Oof. Uh, here, let me see if I can uh, share my thoughts on the matter. Tell no, tell the no, no, no. Yeah, to the no, tell the no, tell the no, no, no. It's just hard to play two slow dudes in the league. It's hard to play two slow guys next to each other. One of the reasons the Lakers can get away with uh, Anthony Davis playing next to JaVale McGee or uh, Dwight Howard is that Davis is so quick and fleet of foot. And I just... The reason that the Blazers wanted to play Zach Collins next to Yusuf Nurkic or even Zach Collins next to Hassan Whiteside is that, you know, that... At least Zach can cover some ground in theory. I just don't think you can play two slotting, like plotting bigs on defense and get away with it. Additionally, on offense, I think the spacing gets wonky. Nurk is a good like shooter. He has okay touch, but he's not like a real spacing floor, spa- like a floor spacing big. He's just so much better working from 17 feet and in. Uh, I don't, I don't like it. And I've already mentioned this is on Whiteside stuff. I think he wants to start. He probably deserves to start in the league. Um, I just, I can't imagine him coming back. Uh, if, if the Blazers want to start Nurk and Zach, I, I think Hassan, I think the writing's on the wall for Hassan. Okay, next question. This one's from Rip City on they ass. At Rip City on they on Twitter. Actually, this person bleeps out the A word, so let me. it's Rip City on they ah. Apologies. What's that hip-hop beat you've been using lately? <laughs> okay, so I work for a podcast network that sells advertisements on his podcast, so we have to purchase licensed music. So the good people of Locked On Podcasts, the uh, the people that run the network, they sent us a bunch of options to choose from, and I searched through the hundred or so options to find some hip-hop beats. So these are just um, un- uncredited music that we have that the network has licensed uh i hope you like it i think they've improved the podcast um they make it sound slightly more professional and they make transitions a little easier for me next question comes from lewis olnick at lewis rs olnick on twitter who asks I like your response last week to a question about unwritten rules between NBA players and media. I only wonder if guys who didn't contribute in games shouldn't address or be addressed. How do you explain Brian White Mamba Scalabrini's presser after the Game 6 Finals in 08? So Brian Scalabrini did not play a single minute in the 2008 NBA Finals. He then got up after the uh, Celtics won. He went to the podium and did this insane national TV broadcast where he said uh, in 30 years he's going to tell his kids that he won finals MVP and they won't even know that he didn't play a single minute. But I looked this up. I remember this right away, obviously, but I looked this up and in August of 2018 during a uh, big three event in the Philippines, uh, Scalabrini told the media assembled there that he was hammered during that event. Not surprising. He drank two bottles of champagne after they won the championship. And then he basically just 
stole Kobe Bryant's media time. Uh, they were supposed to call Kobe up there to the media, to the podium one by one. Kobe wasn't ready, and so Scalabrini just busted up in there and posted up. So um, I mentioned on that previous episode that your kind of unspoken thing between media and players is like if you don't play, you don't you don't get asked questions or whatever. Um, Scalabrini just made himself the subject. My man, Lewis. Thank you for asking that question so I could learn that fun piece of trivia. Next question comes from CJ at Friggin' Winning who asks, Should the Blazers draft LiAngelo Ball? His dad says he will lead the NBA in scoring within three years. Everyone knows that when LeVar Ball makes a guarantee, it's as good as gold. Any day now, his son that plays for the Pelicans is going to be the greatest Laker of all time. Okay, a couple things here. One, we're making fun of LeVar Ball in 2020. Uh, I feel like my man has disappeared and we should let him go. Just let him let him be quiet in the shadows, CJ. Why are we busting on him? Also, LiAngelo Ball is not the one in the draft. He's the one who plays for the G League. Um, so LaMelo is the one that's going to be good. He's, um, in theory, the best ball brother. And in addition, the last one, Lonzo Ball's good. Like, he's good. He's really good. He's he kind of figured it out this year. I think he's going to be a good NBA player. Um, maybe not the greatest Laker of all time, but like a perfectly good long-term NBA player. He's one of the fastest dudes in the league with the ball in his hands. Um, you didn't realize you were talking to a Lonzo Ball fan, but here you go. So, be you know, just let let, Le, let LeVar, known, known dummy LeVar, just be a dummy in, in silence, CJ. Don't be mean to him. Okay, next question comes from Hotai Kim. Hotai Kim 90, at, at Hotai underscore Kim 97 on Twitter who asks if Terry Stotts gets fired who will be the next coach I don't know like that's unknowable um I guess you want candidates Kenny Atkinson just got fired I think he's a pretty good basketball coach um he's kind of hands-on if I really had to guess if Terry Stotts gets fired I'm gonna go David Vanterpool but Terry isn't getting fired it's not happening. He's not going to get in trouble for the whole team getting injured. No one's, no one is getting their feet held to the fire for this one. All right, last question of the show from Petri Dish Normal at Bob underscore Deager on Twitter who asks, "How much revenue would the Blazers organization have generated had they made it one playoff round? Wondering if that money would have offset the cost of adding some minimum salary players when the team only had eight or nine healthy bodies." Um, I have heard that a the net of a NBA playoff home game for NBA teams is a little north of a million dollars. Uh, it's probably bigger for some teams, but I think for the Blazers, north of a million dollars. So let's say they play two home games. You're talking maybe about three million bucks. Um, obviously, that would offset the money for a minimum a minimum guy or a 10-day guy. Um, those th- That's much less money, even um, particularly prorated late in the season. But I think I think you're thinking about those wrong. Like, I think it's I think those are different pots. Like, I think the revenue, even though, like, it's all owner money, it's all Allen Estate money, um, uh, I don't think that that's the way they approach it. I think the way they approach it is uh, let's cut back on salary because we don't want to pay the tax. You'll recall that in order to cut back on the salary, on, on the luxury tax, the Blazers sent out $2 million to the uh Atlanta Hawks for their troubles, basically paid to get cheaper. So I think that $2 million is budgeted somewhere different than the luxury tax money. I think the revenue from games is budgeted different from the tax money. I just think those are different things. I understand what you're saying. And I have been adamant on this podcast that the Blazers cheaped out on this season and said, we don't care about sort of rolling the dice and being more expensive. Not they don't care. That's too far. But they prioritized being 
inexpensive over being maximally competitive they had a chance to add a 10-day guy they could have there's I guarantee there are players in the G League that are comparable if not better than Caleb Swanigan and Wenyan Gabriel they could have gone and found a tall person who was very cheap and made this team better when they didn't have very many healthy bodies and they chose not to do that and then they sent Scal away doesn't seem like Scal was going to be healthy to play so maybe it was the right move in any case but they didn't add anyone with that roster spot when they cut Pau Gasol they didn't add anyone with that open roster spot they've rolled with an open roster spot all year long they traded Scal away to get cheaper they have prioritized saving money over being maximally competitive Don't know if that's related to playoff gate necessarily the way that they approach it, but if you're just asking me if it would offset it, absolutely would. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Mailbag Monday. After you're done listening to this, why not check out the NBA, national NBA show Locked on NBA on this same network. Just holler out your smart device and say play Locked on NBA. Also tell your friends about this podcast and all the podcasts in the Lockdown Podcast Network. Why not? They can get them wherever they already get podcasts. I love Mailbag Monday, and I love all of you who listen, all of you who contribute questions and make this a thing we can do each week. I truly appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.